And please turn to Mark 14. Mark 14, 32 to 42 is our text for the morning. Welcome to you new visitors. We are going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, and we're in this section of Mark chapter 14 where his followers are leaving him. We saw one follower of his uh, anointing his body for burial and worshiping him wonderfully. We see Jesus being faithful when his disciples are not. So there's this contrast between the faithful and the faithless, if you will. And so we've called this section devotion and defection. You see both. And our passage before us is Mark 14, 32 to 42. So please follow along as I read. And before I read, <laughs> your Lord is suffering in this passage before His final suffering on the cross. He's anguished, and I'll just remind you that He's going through this for you if you're a follower of His. Mark 14, 32 to 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and He said to His disciples, sit here while I pray. And He took with Him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not in enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. I've entitled this message, Agonizing Temptation. Agonizing Temptation. I think it's because of the number of false teachings out there about Jesus' deity, that we focus a lot on His deity, and rightly so. There are cults out there that call themselves Christians that, that say that Jesus became a God at one point. That's not true. He always was God. And so we're very good at, normally very good at defending the deity of Christ, but I think there's one area that often Christians who have been Christians for a long time don't appreciate as much, and that's the humanity of Christ. Jesus actually suffered. His obedience was hard, if you will. It was difficult. He was tempted. I think it's best to illustrate this in, a, in an illustration that theologian Bruce Ware gives. He talks about the the humanity of Christ and the difficulty of Christ's obedience and how taxing it was. And he, he used this illustration of swimming across the English Channel. He said, if you were to swim across the English Channel or attempt to do that, and, and so that you wouldn't drown, there was a lifeboat given to kind of go alongside of you. And, and you attempted that feat and jumped in the water and started swimming. If you made it to the end and someone said, why did he or she make it to the end? The answer would not be because the lifeboat was there. Uh, let's say you didn't even use the lifeboat. You, did, you just swam the whole way. The lifeboat was there all along. You swam the whole way. You made it to the inner shore. And someone said, why'd they make it to the end? The answer is not because the lifeboat was there. The answer is it's because you made it. You did it. That's kind of like Jesus' humanity and obeying. He obeyed. You say, could he have not obeyed? No, because the lifeboat of his deity was there. He wasn't going to sin. But why did he not sin? Because he made it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by praying to his Father, he made it. And it was grueling and it was taxing. Our Lord sweat in this passage. It's not said in Mark, but in Luke it is. He sweat great drops of blood. 
I think sometimes people think of Jesus' deity as a reason to, to believe that all temptation was kind of easy to Him. Like temptation comes His way and pshh, deity, that was easy. Another temptation comes, I'm God, that was really easy. That's not how the Bible portrays Jesus overcoming temptation. He's praying, He's in agony, He's sweating great drops of blood. In our passage, He's extremely sorrowful. He told his friends that he was extremely sorrowful. He's anguished in prayer before the Father. He's a man of sorrows. He pled with his Father. He overcame temptation earlier in his public ministry, three years earlier, according to Matthew 4. He overcame temptation by the devil after 40 days of fasting, being alone in the wilderness. His life and overcoming temptation was grueling to him. And we see this grueling temptation in the garden, too. It's interesting to note that in the account of his suffering in the wilderness, he overcame, right? He was tempted in all the ways that we are, yet we fail, he overcame. It was a grueling temptation. And what does the text say? It says that angels came at the end of that and ministered to him. This here in Mark 14 is a time of temptation. What's the temptation for Jesus? To not continue all the way to the cross. He's going to suffer the wrath of God on the cross, and this is the moment where you're starting to see Him come to grips with that in a very public way for us, in a sense. We're we're being brought into the difficulty of Jesus' obedience. It's interesting that Luke says, Luke says that after this, after He went through this, this time in the garden, an angel was sent from heaven to minister to Him. So, in Jesus' two great temptations that we read about that we're privy to, heaven sent an angel, a messenger, to help minister to Jesus. So, you see almost the hand of God behind Jesus pushing Him to the cross, and Jesus knows He's going willingly, but He's in agony. It's difficult. So, my friends, Jesus understands anguish. He understands your suffering. He understands your temptation. You see it here in this passage. I want you to get two things from this. I believe these are the two things, the two main points that Mark is trying to show us. I want you to see Jesus as a model of overcoming temptation. Look at what He does in overcoming temptation. I want you to appreciate the difficulty of of it and, and what He does in overcoming temptation. And secondly, I want you to see how the disciples are unprepared, ill prepared to face their temptation. Both things are highlighted in this text, and so that'll be our outline for the morning. A contrast in the face of agonizing temptation. You don't need to raise your hands, but are any of you ever tempted? Yeah. Every day, all the time. You ever tempted to be unfaithful to Christ? Absolutely. You tempted to be unfaithful to Christ when no one's looking? Yes. How about when a lot of people are looking? Yes. We're tempted. We face temptation. Jesus has been getting His disciples ready to follow in His footsteps. He's going to go through a great temptation. They're going to follow in a great temptation. And so, let's take our cues from Him as to how to go through that type of great temptation. So, a contrast in the face of agonizing temptation. Let's notice it first. Let's notice the first point here, verses 32 to 36. Let's notice the one who is faithful to endure agonizing temptation. Let's see what Jesus does here, how Jesus goes through this. He's emotional about facing the wrath of God, and he receives strength to face the wrath of God. Verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Now, we know what they've just done, right? They've just had this Passover meal. They've just sung a hymn. They're going to the Mount of Olives. They're leaving the city, Jerusalem, where they had the Passover meal, and they're going probably, in the disciples' minds, back to Bethany to sleep for the night. So on the way, they stop at the Mount of Olives, which is something they would have done earlier on in that week, stop at the Mount of Olives to pray. This is probably around midnight. This is late. You can see why the disciples are falling asleep. They go to this place called Gethsemane. It's, a, it's some sort of grove of olives, either someone's garden or some public space, probably more like someone's garden. There wasn't a lot of land that was publicly used in that day and age. But there was this place called Gethsemane, which means olive press. So it might have had olive trees, but it was also evidently a place where there was a large olive press to crush olives. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So they don't go back to Bethany immediately. They're never going to get there. 
Jesus has a plan. He's going to be betrayed here. He knows what's happening. But they're on their way back to Bethany in their minds, as it were. They stop at Gethsemane to pray, which would have been common. And Jesus says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Verse 33, and then he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. This group of three disciples that Mark has shown us before have been his private company. This is the group that he brings with him. So tells the 12 or the 11 at this point, Judas is gone, sit here while I pray. Guys, three of you come with me. And now we've got four people, all right? Took with him Peter, James, and John. He began to be greatly distressed and troubled. So as he's bringing these three guys, Mark shows us, and Peter, who's Mark's source, is telling us that at this time, Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. As He's walking these three disciples further into the garden, He's greatly distressed. Here's what the word means, excessively affected by emotion. Jesus Christ, excessively affected by emotion and troubled. What does the word troubled mean? Subject to extreme mental or spiritual anguish and distress sometimes to the point of losing one's composure. So Jesus is to the point of losing His composure. He's so emotionally racked. Verse 34, and He said to them, these three men, my soul is very sorrowful. He doesn't say, I'm sorrowful. He's compounding it. My soul is very sorrowful. What does that mean? He's surrounded by overwhelming grief and sorrow. Those of you who have experienced great depression, you understand this. You're surrounded. You feel like you can't get out of it. He's surrounded by sorrow, even to death. Now, notice the language of this. This isn't saying, I'm sorrowful because I'm going to die. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, my sorrow is so overwhelming, it feels like I'm going to die because of the sorrow. That's what he's saying. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. More about that command later. But Jesus is greatly distressed. He's troubled. He's very sorrowful. This is depression language. There's something before him that is causing him this angst. I'll remind you of Isaiah 53. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That word acquainted is rather unfortunate in terms of how we think of acquaintance. You know, you're walking down the street. Hey, Joe, how do you know Joe? Oh, we're just acquaintances. That's not what it means. He's a participant with grief. The grief is there. He knows the grief very well. Man of sorrows, acquainted or a participant with grief, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. These sorrows that he has, these should be our sorrows. We're the ones that should be in anguish because we're going to face the wrath of God and we deserve the wrath of God. No Christian will ever experience this depth. You may be distressed, sorrowful, distressed, but you'll never be to this point because the reason he's to this point is because he's going to face all of God's wrath. And we'll never know that. This should be us in the garden, but it's not. It's him. Verse 35, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground. Remember I told you that the word troubled means to sometimes be at the point of losing one's composure? Well, here it is. It doesn't say he gently kneeled over a, a log on the ground. No, he's staggering. Your Lord is staggering because of what he's going to face for you. Overcome by emotion and falls to the ground and prays. A frequent posture for prayer was standing up, hands up. He's falling to the ground. Going on a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. You're hearing Jesus in his full humanity demonstrate what he knows is coming. If possible, is there another way that this hour, the hour often in the gospel speaking of the time of his death, this hour might pass from me? Humanly speaking, is there any way possible 
we know from a host of other passages, this is not demonstrating a conflict between Jesus, who is God, and God the Father. This is Jesus, humanly speaking, seeing the struggle before Him and suffering as He thinks about it. And He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. You may have some other way. You can make anything happen. Remove this cup from me, and yet not what I will, but what you will. The prospect of going through this is overwhelming me. Is there any other way to remove this cup? The cup, so often in the Old Testament, speaking of the cup of God's wrath. Remove this, remove me going through this receiving of your wrath. Remove that from me if there's any. And then he ends that prayer with the same way that we should from the heart end all of our prayers. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I want you to notice the human sorrow, the human suffering of Jesus as he's getting ready to absorb the wrath of God for you. See that. See the pain of it. I also want you to see him committed to his Father's will, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the one who is faithful to endure agonizing temptation. So much to see here. I want to draw out for you just a few lessons to learn from Jesus in these verses. First of all, emotion during hardship is not sin. Emotion during hardship is not sin. Let me say it a little louder for those of you that may need to hear this again. Emotion during hardship is not sin. Our Lord had emotions, was extremely sorrowful, even to the point of death, and that's not sin. Listen to Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, pointing back to this event in the garden, says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. When you hear people loudly crying and loudly praying, sometimes we're kind of embarrassed by it. (sighs) Get some self-control. Jesus offered up these prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus' suffering brought about this greater and greater obedience all through his life and here ultimately in Gethsemane. I say this that emotion during hardship is not a sin because I think sometimes Christians act like it is. To be emotional and sorrowful, to cry is wrong. Hey, God's sovereign. Don't cry. No, that's a failure to understand this era that we're in. God is sovereign. He's working all things together for our good, but Romans 8 says that we still groan. Jesus while he was on earth, wept at a funeral. He's oftentimes crushed. He's oftentimes overwhelmed by sorrow. It's not sin to be sorrowful. Weeping, or let me say this, not weeping, I know this is a double negative, okay? Keep your red pen in your pocket, I know. Not weeping isn't a sign of spiritual maturity. Having no emotion isn't a sign of spiritual maturity. Being godly does not mean being stoic. If you don't believe me, believe John Calvin. Listen to what he says. Now, among the Christians, there are also new Stoics who count it depraved not only to groan and weep, but also to be sad and care-ridden. He groaned and wept both over his own and others' misfortunes. And he taught his disciples in the same way. The world, he says, will rejoice, but you will be sorrowful and weep, John 16, 20. And so that no one might turn that into a vice, he openly proclaimed, blessed are those who mourn. No wonder, for if all weeping is condemned, what shall we judge concerning the Lord himself, from whose body tears of blood trickled down? If all fear is branded as unbelief, How shall we account for the dread with which we read, he was heavily stricken? If all sadness displeases us, how will it please us that he confesses his soul was sorrowful even to death? 
If Jesus is overcome by emotion because of his lot, because of what's before him, it's not a sin to become overcome with emotion in a difficult time. So let's stop treating it as a sin, okay? Secondly, bring your emotional prayer to the Father. Our Lord is emotional. He's distressed, and He brings that to the Father. So I would say, don't just end with, this is hard for me. Bring that to the Father. Our Lord does this. Bring that difficulty, bring those groanings, bring that excessive sorrow to the Father. Again, we're noticing Jesus' pattern here. How He goes through temptation is the way that we're meant to follow. So take these things for yourself. Romans 8.23 not only does the creation groan, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we, will, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. While we're still in this cursed world, we have the Spirit in us. We're new creations, but it's still hard. Life is still hard. We're waiting for that final salvation when there's no more sickness and sorrow and difficulty and distress and depression. We're waiting for all of that. In the meantime, we groan inwardly and we're, we've grown as sons and daughters, just like our Savior groaned before His Father. So, friend, go to your Father in your distress. It, it seems so cliche. You're like, yeah, I know, I, I do that. No, no, no. How many times are you distressed and sorrowful and talking to people and reading books and reading passages and, and there's so much distress, and then hours and hours later, I need to pray? Be distressed. Go to your Father. Go to Him. Bring that all before Him. He's the only one that can do anything about it. The only one, and He does. Third, bring your will to the Father. Bring your will to the Father. It's interesting, earlier Jesus taught His disciples how to pray, right? And He told them to address God as Father, which is not a normal way they would have been addressing God in those days. It wasn't a big Old Testament thing to address Yahweh as your Father. But our Lord calls him Father and tells his disciples, you call him Father. And one of the things that he said to do when you pray is not just call him your Father, but say to him, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth here in my life, here in this situation, as it is in heaven. So it's your will at the end of the day. I would encourage you to put a lot of your prayers in pen or pencil, okay? Put them in pencil. Lord, would you do this? Lord, would you do that? And then put in pen, but your will be done. Lord, I'm in your hands. You do its best. You know all things. I don't know all things. You know my weaknesses. You know what's coming ahead. You know what I need. You, you know what's best. So your will be done. Friends, pray that way. Let's not tell Jesus what to do based on our knowledge because that's very limited. Let's ask him for things, but then say, you're the one with all knowledge. Whatever you determine, I know it's best. Your will be done. So these are some things to learn from our Lord as we see Him suffering and agonizing in this temptation. Let me pause for a moment and say, if you're not a Christian, what I'm hoping you see in just these few verses is that Jesus, the Son of God, who's never sinned, He's never wronged anybody. He's never been cruel to a child. He's never wronged anybody. He is suffering. Why? because He's chosen to suffer for sinners. This is the suffering that every single person on the face of the planet deserves. We deserve to be judged by God because of our sin. All of us do. But Jesus, the Son of God, came to step in our place, be the propitiation, get out in front of us and absorb the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. So the Bible says that Christians will never face the wrath of God. But those who reject the Son, let me say this very clearly to you, we all deserve the wrath of God. It's coming one day. Hebrews 9 says it's appointed for all of us to die, and then comes the judgment. We all deserve the wrath of God, but what Jesus did, in a sense, is He came and stood in our place, absorbed it, got in front of it, absorbed the wrath of God so that we live free. What you are doing if you reject Christ is you're removing Him out of the way because you think that's what gives you freedom, but you're standing right in the way of the wrath of God. Please don't do that any longer. Jesus is the Son who came for you. There's you may be looking for the perfect spouse, the perfect job, the perfect… Here's the perfect for you, okay? 
Jesus Christ standing in front of you to absorb the wrath of God. Believe that He came to do that. Trust in Him. Lay your sin aside and say, I'm following you. I'm trusting in you. I want you to see that from these passages. He's suffering because He loves to save sinners. Now, contrast this faithful enduring of temptation. Contrast that with a failure, which is so often shown to us in Mark. Let's notice, secondly, the ones who fail to prepare for agonizing temptation. So, Jesus is overcoming this agonizing temptation. Now, here the disciples are failing to prepare for agonizing temptation. Verse 37, and He came and found them sleeping. I mean, just put yourself there. Think of the contrast. He's falling to His knees, sweating drops of blood, in agony, crying out loudly to the Father, he gets up, and if there's ever a time where someone needs to be supported by friends, he comes, oh, it's, it's, it's late. They're sleeping. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So listen, they know he's going to go through something. He's been tipping them off to that. But then now he says he brings them, them into the, the, the mix. I'm going to go through something, but you watch and pray so that you don't enter temptation. Remember, where Jesus goes, his followers follow. He goes through, to a cross. We have our crosses. Not to the same extent, obviously. But the path in this life for believers, and it hasn't changed just because we're in 21st century, first world America. His followers suffer. Watch and pray, Peter, guys, so that you may not enter into temptation. And then he says this, and we all say amen to this. We know what he's talking about. The Spirit indeed is willing. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll die for you. I won't look at another with adultery. I won't mismanage my money and waste it. I won't waste my time. I'll do what my life is yours. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh comes in. We're not as great as the commitments we make. (laughs) Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. Really? Really? We sing that. Is it always your joy to honor him in all you do? It's not mine. Maybe I'm the only one. It's a quiet room right now. Maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) It's not so quiet. I sense the Lord is in this place. (laughs) Do you see Jesus here, in a sense, warning the disciples? Guys, I'm going through a great temptation. You need to stay awake and be careful because you're going to go through a great temptation. Watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. That, desire, that idea of entering into temptation, watch and pray so that you don't succumb to temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, we've heard this language before, haven't we? Just a couple weeks ago, turn back to Mark 13. He's talking about the end of the age when the Son of Man comes. And one of the things I told you about Mark 13 is, you know, if you study this and you try to figure out, okay, what part of this was judgment on Israel in 70 AD and what part of it comes later? I was trying to show you that a lot of it did happen in 70 AD, but a lot of it is coming later. There are kind of a prefiguring of things that are coming. And so here Jesus is saying, I'm coming one day. No one knows the day or the hour. And then in Mark 13, verse 33, he says, be on guard. What's that next, those next two words? Keep awake. Be on guard. Keep awake. Verse 35, therefore, stay awake. Verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to all. What I say to you disciples, I say to all disciples. Kenya Bible Church of Prescott, stay awake. You're going to face temptation. You're going to face the temptation to to ruin your testimony, to to displease your Lord, to grieve the Holy Spirit, to hurt the community of faith, to, to not stand with Christ when you should. You're going to face temptation. Stay awake. Be alert. Know the temptations. So he said it back in Mark 13. Now, here's the real life example for the for the followers of Christ in that day and age. 
He's going to be betrayed. He's going to, there's a temptation for him to short-circuit the cross or not go to the cross, but he overcomes that temptation. And then he tells his followers, you need to be strong too, and you're sleeping. Friends, this is written for us. You're going to face temptation. You can't be asleep spiritually. How's your prayer life? The Bible is written and calling you to pray. Pray before you face temptation. We have a lot of prayers of confession after we succumb to temptation. That's fine. That's what you do when you succumb to temptation. But how about transferring some of those to before the temptation comes? Lord, give me the strength to endure. I want to stand for you. I want to be faithful to my wife in this moment, to my kids in this moment, to my husband in this moment, to my coworkers in this moment. I want to be faithful to my church in this moment. I'm a representative of Christ. I want to be faithful in this moment. I need strength. It's going to be hard. There's a hard conversation I have coming up later. There's a hard appointment I have in a couple days. I'm going to be tempted to be weak in this area. Lord, I need you. Lord, help me. Strengthen me. Those are more of the prayers that are needed. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 39, and again he went and prayed, saying the same words. What same words? Abba, Father, if there's any way possible, but yet not what I will, what you will. He says it a second time, persistent prayer. Verse 40, and again he came and found them sleeping. He comes back a second time. What are they doing? They're sleeping. For their eyes were heavy. We know that feeling, right? There's nothing I can do to keep my eyes awake. I'm, I'm eyes open. I'm so tired. We know that feeling. Their eyes are very heavy. It's midnight. And they did not know what to answer him. He came and asked him again, are you still sleeping? They're, they're just guilty. There's nothing to say. Yes. Verse 41. And he came a third time and said to them, Mark, is, Mark regularly gives us things in sets of three for emphasis the failure of the disciples to be prepared for their own temptation. Jesus telling them there's going to be a great temptation. You've got to be ready. They're asleep. There's a great temptation. You've got to be ready. They're asleep. Came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. We're done. The hour has come. Again, the hour often speaking of his time of death. It's here now. If you read the Gospel of John, he's constantly saying, it's not the hour. It's not the hour. It's not the hour. Here, the hour has come. It's time. Here comes the temptation. The betrayer's at hand. The Son of Man, the victorious one, the victorious conqueror that Daniel prophesied about, is now betrayed into the hands of sinners. He tells his disciples, rise, let's be going. See, my betrayer's at hand. It's so, such an interesting picture. Jesus coming to his disciples who aren't spiritually prepared to go through this trial, he now is. He's gone to the Father. He's thrown himself at the mercy of the Father, laid his will in the hands of the Father, and the Father is strengthening him. And notice it says, rise, let us be going. Jesus is going into the meeting with his betrayer. You see that? If it were us, there he is. We're out of here. Jesus steps to the betrayer. In John 18, there's a clear picture of this. It says Jesus stepped forward. They didn't have to go hunt down Jesus and find him in a basement somewhere. He steps forward. He's ready for the trial. He's ready for the temptation. He's ready for the suffering. He steps forward because of his love for his own. He steps forward and the, again, the heinousness of this all, and we'll get to this next week, Lord willing, is that as he steps forward, they all flee. He steps forward, he's arrested, they all flee. He's ready for the temptation. They aren't. And he was calling them to be ready. You sense that in this, rise, let us be going, see my betrayers at hand. You sense that the disciples are missing the opportunity. It's too late to be strengthened. It's too late. I don't know if you ever remember, some of you, some of you were straight-A students, so you have no idea what I'm going to talk about right now, but, oh, the test is today? I had, I'm very familiar with that sentiment as I grew up. 
the idea is the teacher has laid out the study guide. I've told you everything that's going to be on the test. I've told you what you need. Read this. You'll be just fine. And you just pay little attention. You prefer to do something else. You're tired. You want to do something else. And then the day comes and, oh, it's here. And you're going to fail. There's a little of that sentiment here. It's too late now. Here's the temptation. Here's the trial. What are we going to see coming up? We're going to see all the disciples leave, and then after that, later on in the chapter, we're going to see Peter deny Jesus three times. There's a link. There's a link back to their lack of preparation and praying to the Father. You can trace it back. You will not thrive as a follower of Christ with an anemic prayer life. You will not. I won't. You won't. We've got to be before our Father, before temptation comes. That's what we're meant to receive from this passage. We see Jesus, and we see what we need in following His example. So these are the ones who fail to prepare for this great temptation. As I close out this second point, I want to draw, again, a few more lessons out for us. I just want to make sure that as a congregation we understand these things. First of all, recognize that you are in a war. Brothers and sisters, we are not living in peacetime. We are in a spiritual war. Your flesh is against you. The devil is against you. The world system is against you. You are in a war. The enemy would love nothing more than to compromise your testimony, to hurt others around you by your own sin. And let me say one that we don't often think about. The enemy would love for you just to shift your focus in life, fixated on the next RV, the 401k, just fixated, fixated on your hobby, fixated on the things that are going to go away like that instead of staying on the mission and remembering why you're here as a disciple. We're in a war. There's a war for your family, for your emotions, for your priorities. There's a war. And I think some of us are just asleep, just kind of meandering through life, trying to get the most out of this world, forgetting why we're here, not, not attacking sin, but just kind of maybe just hoping that we don't give in to it with little prayer, little godly priorities. Recognize that you're in a war. It's time to wake up. For the Christ follower, there's never a season of life that's spiritually easy. Why, is, why, is, why are these years so hard? Because there's a curse. There's an enemy. We've got a mission, and we're going to be attacked in that mission. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There's never a peacetime until we go to heaven. So recognize that you're in a war. Secondly, second thing to notice from the disciples' failure, consider your upcoming temptations. It's been so helpful for me this week in reading this and thinking that Jesus is calling His disciples to pray before they're tempted, as the temptations are maybe on the horizon. So let me ask you, how are you weak? Do you know your weaknesses? Do you know when you're most tempted? How are you weak? Other people are strong in certain areas. You're weak in certain areas. Some, some of their weaknesses are not your weaknesses, but how are you weak? If you were a soldier, do you know what area of combat you're weak in? Do you know what needs to be fortified? It's important that we know that. Let me ask you another question. When are you weak? You know, after I work a full week and then that next day I'm just kind of emotionally drained and I give in to temptation a lot. Know that. Make provisions. Go to the Father. Lord, the end of this week is coming and I'm tired. It's hard for me to fight temptation. Lord, I need your strength. Pray that before instead of just every week saying, I failed again. Will you forgive me? Oh, good. I know you do. Now, now pray those prayers of confession, but transfer some of them to before the temptation arises is what I'm saying. Be ready. How are you weak? When are you weak? Where are you weak? Are there places you go that make you weak or that tempt you to be weak, I should say? Know where you're weak. Go to the Father. So, lesson one, recognize that you're in a war. Secondly, consider upcoming temptations. Third, fervently pray for strength to overcome temptation. Fervently pray. You know the armor of God passage in Ephesians 6, but I want, I want to read to you the, the, the words that come at the end of that. It says, 
after this spiritual armor, these verses on spiritual armor, it says, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Every day is a day to pray, Lord, I need your armor. Lord, I'm going to face a lot. I'm going to face temptations toward pride, towards anger, toward lust, towards impatience, toward covetousness, toward laziness. I'm going to face these, Lord. I know I'm going to face these. I have a meeting coming up in a few hours. I'm going to be tempted toward anger. I have, uh, I'm going to go into this setting. I'm going to be tempted to kind of show off and be proud. Lord, I need your strength. That's what's needed. Our Lord is begging us to go to the Father in times of temptation. Fervently pray for strength to overcome temptation. Fourth, trust God to answer prayer. I love what Luke says when he says that after these prayers and these groanings and the supplication that Jesus made before the Father, he was strengthened because heaven sent a messenger to strengthen him. The Father heard him. He answered his prayer. He made him stronger in that moment to endure the cross. Brothers and sisters, listen. Listen to this. The same resources that Jesus had to obey in great times of temptation, you and I have. The Holy Spirit strengthened him, and he had his Father who was listening to him. You and I have the Holy Spirit, and we have a Father that wants us to go to him. We have the same thing. So when I say to you, overcome temptation, you can overcome temptation like Christ did. I want, you to, I want to ask you for a moment, what's your response to that? Do you say quickly, no, no, I'm not God, no. And I say, no, you can overcome temptation like Christ did. No, no, I'm not God, I can't do that. You're betraying what the text is trying to tell you. The text is showing you, you have a Father to go to. You have the Holy Spirit. Read the rest of the epistles. Go to Him in prayer. He means for you to overcome temptation by prayer. Listen to Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So, passed through the heavens. Jesus suffered, died faithfully, obediently, rose again, ascended to the heavens. We have a great high priest that we're following. He went before us. He's perfect. And Hebrews is meaning to link us to him. Follow in the pattern, just like Mark 14 is showing us. Follow the pattern. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So let us stay believing what we say we believe. Let us stay in the faith. Let us overcome temptation when there's persecution. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This high priest knows what it's like to go through great temptation, doesn't he? See Mark 14. We don't have a great, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So then if you say, that's him, but that's not me, listen to the rest of the passage. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's a, that's a euphemism for praying. Let us pray with confidence, draw near the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you see what the Bible is trying to show you this morning? If you say, I just, I can't overcome temptation. Yes, you can if you're in Christ. Yes, you can. This language of Hebrews 4 is like begging you to see, come boldly, you have access to help. Come boldly and you will find grace and mercy in a time of need. No one's allowed to come out of here saying, I can't spiritually overcome this trial I have coming up. No one's allowed. If someone says that, rebuke them and open your Bible to Hebrews 4, okay? No one's allowed to say that. We can overcome temptation, not because we are wonderful, but because He's gracious. He knows. So, I hope that you've seen these two things. I hope that you've got a greater appreciation of what our Lord went through for you. And I also hope that you see in the disciples' failure what the Lord is calling you. Follow in my footsteps. Watch. Pray. 
Go to the Father. Trust. My prayer has been throughout the week that after hearing Mark 14, 32 to 42, you would love Christ more and appreciate His sacrifice, see Him excessively sorrowful for you, see Him falling to His knees because of the emotions of absorbing the wrath of God that you and I deserve, and see in the failure of the disciples how you don't have to fail. You can go to the Lord, go to the Father in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, would you impress those two realities on our mind for those who are here who are overcome, excessively sorrowful, fearing temptation, not feeling like they are strong. I pray that you would strengthen them after they go to you in prayer. They would trust in the resources that you give. Father, answer these prayers for your son's glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We'll invite the ushers to come forward and we'll partake of the Lord's table today. Are we right there? Do we have the ushers? Okay, there they come. All right. Okay, good. All right, you guys can come down. Thank you. I want to say again to those of you who may not be followers of Christ, we're really glad you're here. Um, there are not many places that you can go and hear the Bible, but Lord willing, churches are teaching the Bible and what it says, so we hope that you have some more information about what it means to follow Christ and some more information about Christianity. If you have questions about Jesus or this whole Christian thing, please come and talk to me or talk to a Christian around you today. Again, we're glad you're here. Um, this is a part of the service that's, that's for Christians, okay? So these little cups uh, to take aren't, aren't for non-Christians, so I'd encourage you to let these things go by. Um, we celebrate when we drink the cup the fact that we're not drinking a cup of wrath. We're reminding ourselves that, that Jesus drank the cup for us, so He substituted Himself for us. So that, that little thing of grape juice this morning that we're drinking is a reminder that we're not going to have taken the wrath of God. He drank that cup, and this is a symbol for us to remember that. That's what that is. And in taking the bread, we remember that His body is what was sacrificed for us. And as I said before, the Bible would teach that people who do not trust in Jesus' sacrifice, do not follow Him, are actually the ones who will suffer the wrath of God, and they are the ones who will be judged. And so, I'd invite you to trust Christ today for your salvation. For those of you who are Christians, I want to remind you, as you take the bread and the cup, salvation is not given to you because of your faithfulness. We have salvation because of Jesus' commitment to die. And Mark 14 shows us that He went to the cross, and that's why we stand here free, forgiven. You know, we can hear a message on Mark 14 and go, amen, amen, and then sit in these seats and feel really guilty about our sin and think that we got to clean ourselves up to recommend ourselves to God. Don't do that. Don't do that. The Son was given for your sin. Take this sin that you're most ashamed of this week. I mean, seriously, think about it in your mind. The sin that you're most ashamed of this week. And if you're a Christian, that's wiped away. And Jesus gives you approval before God the Father. You are approved of. We are, as the Bible says, accepted in the beloved. Jesus Christ has brought us acceptance before the Father. This is a time of joy for us. So if you're holding on to guilt and sin, if you're frustrated by again how you've been unfaithful to the Lord, let this be a time to remind you that you're not going to suffer for that. You're not going to pay for that. He paid for it. Jesus paid it all. We just sung that song. I love what B.B. Warfield said, the Princeton theologian. Listen to this. In the event that they failed him, and in Mark 14 they did fail him, in the event that they failed him, he had to watch and pray alone. Had the temptation of the world depended on the diligence of the disciples or even on their staying awake, it would never have been accomplished. 
The reason that we ultimately overcome temptation is not because we are faithful, but because He was faithful in our place. So if you've been one and you've said, I've been asleep spiritually, I've given into temptation, I've been a lot like the disciples, I feel convicted by this morning, let me say this, the final, the end of the story is Jesus obeyed perfectly in your place. Rest in that today. Rest in that today and be reminded of that in the bread and in the cup. As the men are passing the last, passing the last rose, let me read these words from the great hymn, Man of Sorrows. Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. He doesn't deserve that name. Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let me read Paul's words to the Corinthian church, and we'll take the, these elements together. Paul says this to the church, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord's death together in the bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. If you're a Christian, you will never experience the wrath of God that you deserve. You never will. He experienced it for you. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you for your commitment. We love you for your commitment to the Father. We love you for your commitment to us. I mean, Jesus, you committed yourself to us in death. And we are so wretched before you. We have rebelled against you. We've disobeyed you, but you committed yourself to us because of your love. Lord, comfort our hearts this morning by your love. Comfort our hearts by that gospel message. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you endured the cross. We thank you that you stepped forward and met the betrayer when all of us would have left. Thank you for your faithfulness. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.